I noticed a couple people over here that haven't been here for a while. Let's give it up for the Witties. So you know them a little bit? Amen. Awesome. Good to see you, Witties. They've been gallivanting across the whole country, being faithful ministers to their own parents, so praise the Lord. We're going to recognize um, some new members today that have joined Liberty. You want me to take that? Let's see who we got. The Gibsons. Give it up for the Gibsons. Come on up. You all want to say anything? <laughs> all right, give it up for the Gibsons. <clears throat> One of the things that's, it, that's cool is uh, Jaslyn, who goes by Jazz, um, is um, over the age of 17, so when people hit 18, we ask them um, to formalize their membership apart from their parents, and so um, Jaslyn was interested in doing that, so that's very cool. So she joins as an official member. Yeah. yeah. All right, next we have Brandon. Give it up for Brandon. <laughs> Good job, Brandon. You want to say anything? <laughs> And last, we got Jasmine Snyder. You want to say something? No? <laughs> All right. Send the kids to class, right? <laughs> yeah, get them out of here. <laughs> I'll pray for them, and then they can head out. Father, thank you so much that um, we can formally recognize new members today, that we can rejoice, we can laugh, we can have a good time. We thank you for uh, the children that you've given us, God. We pray that they would um, become fast attached to you, Lord, and their hearts uh, would be focused and set on you, Lord. Also pray, God, for um, your word today to do its work, in our souls, Lord, because we need it. So continue to be here. Um, continue to fill us with your spirit. Help us to hear from you for your glory. Amen. All right, turn to Psalm 92. All right, here's what it says. Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. 
the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Amen? Amen. We're going to continue talking um, about the vision of liberty, and I took um, a number of weeks to talk about the first word in liberty's vision statement, which is, good job, belong to the body of Christ. Um, Today we're going to start looking at the next word, which is flourish. All right, flourish as disciples. That's the second. Do you guys remember the third word? Go. Go in service and mission. We're going to look at flourish. I want to start by uh, defining the word flourish. Now, here's the thing. I was thinking about this um, as I was preparing my sermon. Why do I always uh, define words and terms? I was actually asking myself that. I'm like, I will take some time in my sermons to actually define uh, words, sometimes even get into the Greek a little bit. Here's the thing. We define the word so that we are clearly heard. Define the word so that you are clearly heard. And what I have noticed in my own life, when I talk with people, um, usually if there's a breakdown of any sort, it's always with communication. And I have found in witnessing to people and talking with people and sharing with people and counseling people and ministering to people that I can be using uh, certain words, certain terms, and, and they understand those terms and words, but they can mean something completely different to those people at times. In fact, um, depending on uh, who you're sharing with, you can be sharing with someone. I've shared with Mormons, I've shared with Jehovah Witnesses, and they can, they'll not, at every, everything you say, Jesus, the Trinity even, crazily enough, they will shake their head and be in agreement with you. And then if you start and say, well, what's your definition? What do you mean by that? Then you can start to see, oh, maybe there's a difference here. I have um, debated with people and found out after literally an hour that we, we agreed on the very same thing. Not kidding you. It's kind of sad. Um, because we were actually using different words, but we're meaning the same thing. Then I've been talking with people, and it looks like we're in complete agreement, and then they say a little something, and I'm like, wait, well, what do you mean by that? We were using the same words, but they actually had something completely different in mind. So we define the word so that we are clearly heard. That's why I like to make sure that we're all on the same page, and we work through different words and definitions I want to show you a picture here. When I talk about uh, growth, um, when I talk about flourish, the idea of growth comes to mind. And the picture that's going to show behind me, um, when, when I think of flourish, it's, it's more than growth, though. It's more than growth. 
Can you guys see that a little bit? On the left-hand side, that's me trying to plant grass in the fall and up against my house where there's a little overhang, so the, wall, the, the water doesn't always fall there, so it's kind of tricky. But if you look uh, up against the house, on the left-hand side, the grass is growing. On the right-hand side, you can still see the straw, and, well, you can't really see the grass seed, but it is there, and then it is not growing. If I asked you uh, which, in your own Christian life, do you want to be more like the left side or the right side, what are you going to say? Left side. Good, good. You guys passed. Okay. Why do you want to be on the left side? Because growth is happening there. <clears throat> but here's the thing. If you planted like a little tiny flower, has anyone planted flowers yet? It's like springtime? No? Okay. I haven't either. You plant a little flower, and it's, it's struggling to make it, right? And you're, it's outside, you're giving it water, it's getting sunlight. Um, if it's just grown like a tiny, tiny little bit, it's still growing, right? But, but you wouldn't say it was flourishing, right? So you can have growth without necessarily flourishing. Because when, when I think of flourish, what I'm thinking of is the idea of strong growth. I'm thinking of a vigorous growth. I'm thinking of thriving, okay? So you can have tiny growth, but, but that's really not... There, there might be, on that right-hand side, there actually might potentially be like tiny little grass seed potentially poking up. It's not because it still looks like that at home. <clears throat> but the point is, you can have a tiny little growth, but that is not flourish. So when I say flourish as disciples, yes, growth is included, but it's, it's more than growth. It's a vigorous growth. It's a thriving growth. It's a flourishing growth. And listen, um, God's original design was, for one, for us to belong, belong to him, but also for us to flourish. Uh, Andrea has been messaging back and forth with someone online, and they told her, uh, don't use Adam and Eve when you reply back to me. <laughs> because they know that's where she was going to go um, as, part of her, as part of her reply back. Why? Because if we want to understand how God originally set things up, what do we do? We look back to the beginning. We look back to the very beginning. They're the paradigmatic couple. I love saying that word, paradigmatic, all right? <clears throat> what, is, what do I mean by that? See, back to defining words so that you're clearly heard. It's just like an example or a pattern. An example or a pattern. So they're the paradigmatic couple. It's the design that God set up originally, the way he wanted it to be. This is why Paul refers over and over again to Adam. Think about Romans chapter 5. He'll refer to Adam. He'll make the contrast between the old man and the new man. Uh, Paul will refer to it in 1 Timothy when he's talking about roles in the church. He refers and he grounds it. What? With how God originally designed it. Jesus, when he's talking about marriage, what does he do? He references Adam and Eve, right? Because that was God's original design. They were the pattern that God wanted us to follow. So God didn't just want Adam and Eve in the garden chilling out, eating mangoes, or whatever they had there. His design was for Adam and Eve to flourish, 
Okay, think of the garden. I mean, there's luscious fruit. There's a little river flowing through it. It was amazing. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Have you ever been to one of those, like, beautiful, amazing beaches? I don't know if, if we really have them here in the United States. We maybe do. I haven't been there. Justice probably has if there is one, but because he likes to travel. But, I mean, the water is beautiful. Like, from a distance, it looks like this beautiful blue. Up close, you can see right to the bottom. It's amazing, right? It's like on a postcard, okay? Belize actually has some amazing beaches like that. Okay, imagine that, like times a billion. And then you might get somewhere close to the garden and what it looks like. And look at Genesis. Hold your place because we're coming back to Psalm 92. But I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1 because God didn't just put Adam and Eve there just to chill out and have a good time. He put them there with a purpose. He wanted them to flourish. Look, what he, look where we start in verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then notice this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over li every living thing that moves on the earth. They were given a command, actually a number of commands here to do. So they're not just chilling out in the garden. They are given a purpose here. And what were the commands covering all of life. This included everything, all the areas possible, job, family, authority, worship, all of those things. So whatever areas God has you involved in, he wants you to flourish there. Whatever it might be, inside the house, outside the house, at church, outside the church, wherever he's got you involved, he wants you to flourish. I mean, think about Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. I mean, that's flourishing. You're spending time with the Lord, right? And God set him up, and he set Eve up so that they could flourish in a setting specifically designed by God himself. That was the garden. But God did this for the Israelites, too. First you had the tabernacle, then you had the temple that was part of Israel, but then you had the community of Israel, too. And then you, today we got the church for believers, Right? we got the universal church, which we've talked about, believers with one another, but then you got the local church too, both of them integral to flourishing. So God at every stage wants to see his children flourish. Listen, that means not just survive. That means not just maintain, not just tread water, but flourish. Okay, this does not mean, however, that life's going to be easy. All right, anyone got an easy life? All right, maybe baby Nori, okay? She's doing all right right now, this first couple years. It does not mean life's going to be all grand. It does not mean life's going to be pina coladas on the beach. But here's the thing. How is it that God can take someone from the worst of situations and have them do amazing things? You, like, you read the biographies 
of the, some of the heroes of the faith, and they flourished in the midst of adversity and trials. And you read their biographies, you're like, wow. So Yahweh, God, wants you to enjoy your relationship with him, and he wants you to be everything that you are designed to be. He wants you to flourish. And here's the thing. He wants you to flourish. Not just grow, but flourish. Look at John 15, chapter 5. This is Jesus talking in John 15. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears little fruit. Oh, not little, right? Now what does your version say? Much fruit, all right? Bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we're abiding in the Lord, we will bear much fruit. There will be much growth. Look at Mark chapter 4. It's at the very end. This is the parable of the sower. But I just want you to notice what it says in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty-fold and sixty-fold and a hundred-fold. I mean, that's a lot of fruit. And I remember thinking, like when I first read that, I was like, like, Lord, I'd be happy with like two times as much or three times as much, right? Um, listen, when God is involved in doing his work, he, he produces more fruit than we can imagine. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I think some people um, struggle with believing the truth of this verse. Like it says 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And it's kind of interesting how many times... Jesus talks about that multiplication principle, 30, 60, 100, right? There's not just like one, one verse, which it'd still be sufficient for sure, but the fact that the gospel writers repeatedly record those words means, man, it was, it was integral to part of his teaching. It was something he wanted to make sure they got, and God wants to make sure that we get it. So I just, I, I just want to challenge you a little bit, like, that's what the Lord wants to do with each one of us. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So some of us need to, need to have a little faith there and believe that that's what the Lord wants to do. 30, 60, 100. The idea is not just like a little, but a whole, whole lot. And listen, that's not possible with just you on your own, with just me on my own. If it was like two or three times, then you were like, yeah, I, that, I can see that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, that's the point. God doesn't want you to do it. He doesn't want you to take the credit for the growth. He wants to take the credit. And the 30 and the 60 and 100 is only possible when the Lord is involved in that equation. All right? So here's the principle. The Lord takes the little and he uses it mightily. Okay, this is how God works. He takes Abraham, all his bumbling ways. He messed up so many different things. It's not even funny. And he makes him the father of a nation. And he's in, he's, he's like, Scripture thinks highly of him. He takes the lion deceiving and cheating Jacob and transforms and changes him. He takes Moses, who's like, oh, I can't speak, Lord, I can't speak. And he puts him in Pharaoh's court to speak to Pharaoh, right? 
And he takes David. He's the least among his brothers, you know. They're like, you know, he's like, go to the family of Jesse and you're going to anoint one of the son's kings. And they like go through from the oldest and there's like, he's like, is there anybody else? Right? And it was like, and he can't even put on the armor to fight Goliath. It's like, you know, weak little boy is kind of the image you get. But what, what does God do with him? This mighty warrior. Okay, so he takes the little and uses it mightily. Think of, think of King Josiah. He's eight years old when he becomes king. Eight years old. And God uses him to bring reformation to Israel. So God takes the little and uses it mightily. What do you have to offer the Lord? You're like, oh Lord, I got, I got five barley loaves and two little fish. Right? Listen, God will take your little barley loaves and your fish and He's going to multiply it. He will multiply. He will do the miraculous. And listen, what happens is, is like, man sees it and, and, and is like, like, you see the little barley loaves and the fish and you're like, really? God can, God can take that and use that? That's where the disciples were at. Like, oh, this is all we got, Lord. And he's like, it's enough. It's enough. He's going to take the little and multiply it. He's going to take the little and use it mightily, okay? Because God sees it, he sees you, and he sees you, and he sees you, and he's like, that's enough. I can, I can work with that. It's not much to work with, but I can work with it. Okay, because it's, it's really not about what you, it's not like you, look, we're not some great gifted people at all. Sorry, I'm including myself there. All right, God takes us, though, and does amazing things through us. And he multiplies the little into a great amount. So back in Psalm 92, we see a couple pictures of this, a couple images that I want you to see for yourselves of how he compares us and what flourishing looks like. Look at verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. Now the palm tree was a symbol of life. It grows and produces fruit. Here's what one commentator said. The figure of the palm tree gives us the idea of grandeur and usefulness. The fruit of the palm tree makes a great part of the diet of the people of Arabia, part of Persia, and upper Egypt. The leaves are made into baskets. Uh, the hard bows of, or the strong leaves, some being six or eight feet in length, make fences. The juice makes eric. The threads of the web-like integument between the leaves make ropes. The rigging is used for small vessels. The wood, the wood serves for firewood. In short, the palm, also known as the date tree at times, uh, is one of the most excellent and useful productions of the forests or the field. And, and actually, Jake read for the offering exhortation from Psalm 1, which references that idea of flourishing, right? Being planted next to the stream. Uh, it's also represented, I, I'm going to guess most of you don't know this. You probably know it, but you don't fully realize it. Um, the palm tree was actually represented in drawings or what we might call um, iconography in the temple itself. First Kings references it, and when it's talking about Solomon and the design that he came up with and was implementing, it said all around the walls of the house, he carved engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees. 
and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. You can write down 1 Kings 6 if you want to look at it later. Um, it, it, goes on, it goes on later. He covered the two doors of olive wood with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He overlaid them with gold and spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. Okay, it's a symbol of life. Ezekiel, uh, when he is talking about his heavenly vision in chapters 40 and 41, he repeatedly, like almost like an insane amount, talks about the palm trees being inscribed everywhere. And think of what was laid down before Jesus as he entered Jerusalem in his final days. Right? The palm branches. So that's the palm tree. Then it goes on. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. It's, it's, th th those trees were large and stately. And the idea is that of majesty, stability, durableness, and incorruptibility. One person um, who visited these trees in Lebanon said this, These noble trees grow among the snow near the highest part of Lebanon. Some are very old and of prodigious bulk. I measured one of the largest and found it 12 yards, 6 inches in girth, and yet sound, and 37 yards in the spread of its branches. At about five or six yards from the ground, it was divided into five limbs, each of which was equal to a large tree. So, I mean, these are like massive, massive trees. Um, the cedars in Lebanon were used in the construction of the temple. 1 Kings 5 talks about that. You can write that down as well. And Solomon when it's discussing about like all his wisdom and it's giving a description and he spoke this many proverbs and he talked about this thing and he talked about that thing, it goes on and says, he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. So he's talking about all his wisdom and knowledge and it specifically mentions how he knew about these cedars in Lebanon and their gloriousness. Then I want you to see this in Psalm 29. Turn there. It says, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Isn't that cool, that imagery, right? Like God, in His power, even these giant, massive trees can break the cedars of Lebanon. Why am I looking at that verse with you guys? It's really more of a side note. One, I thought it was cool, but two, just to encourage you, like as you study God's Word, like, Things like this, maybe now that you know a little bit about the cedars of Lebanon, brings out this verse a little bit more. Helps you give a little bit of understanding, right? It's not just this like tiny little pine tree that's like two inches in width and like the Lord's voice breaks that. Oh, that's real powerful, Lord. No, it's like these massive giant trees. Like what are those trees called um, in California? The sequoias, right? There's a boom, Lord breaks them in half. 
Awesome. Uh, Song of Solomon even mentions the, the cedars of Lebanon, talking about, um, it says, his appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. Song of Solomon 5. Back in Psalm 92, I want you to notice, though, what it's talking about with us compared to the wicked. It says in verse 6, the stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. Okay, so we're, there's a comparison here. There's the wicked that are like the grass. Now they, they flourish, but just for a season. Just for a season. Those cedars of Lebanon, some thought, that, say, I mean, they're hundreds of years, some say even over a thousand years old. I mean, they endure. They endure. Grass, which you get this imagery in Scripture, is, is here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's thrown into the fur, furnace. Okay? Grass doesn't last. Um, but both are flourishing. It's the same Hebrew word. Okay? The evildoers flourish, the righteous flourish. Now, have you ever asked yourself, like, why, Lord, why do the evildoers flourish? Well, I mean, the Psalms even ask that question, right? Why do the wicked prosper? And the Lord has an answer, and we're not always satisfied with it. And he has his purposes, and he uses it. He uses the Nebuchadnezzar's. He uses the rulers of yesterday and today for his purposes. The wicked at times do flourish, but it is a temporary flourishing. It is temporary. It does not last. The righteous flourish forever. Okay. So, <clears throat> I want you to notice something here. When we're talking about flourishing, when we're talking about growth, when we're talking about um, doing great things for the Lord, listen, it's not talking about physical strength. It uses that imagery of strength to help show us that, <clears throat> one, it's about the Lord, but two, the idea really is like a spiritual strength. Okay? Some of you don't have much physical strength, Right? Some of you are getting old and decrepit. Hey, I didn't say your name, Greg. Oh, whoops. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you feel like you have no physical strength. Because it's not about physical strength. One of my favorite stories, I think I've told it before, but um, this gentleman... Uh, was, in, was going to this Christian high school, and part of, his, um, part of the assignment for the class was to go visit basically the elderly. So he got paired with one of his friends, and they went to visit this lady um, who was like over 80 years old. And they're like, hey, we'll just, we'll just go there real quick and, and pop in and pop out of there, and then we can have the rest of the day off, you know. So they end up um, going over there, and he just was... She answers the door, and he ends up, ends up recounting like she wanted to pray. And he's like, she prayed, 
like no one I'd ever heard pray before. And he could tell that, that what she had with her relationship with the Lord was, was something that he didn't, he didn't even have. So they end up leaving, and they, they keep the visit short, but he was struck by that. And years later, he wakes up in the morning, and he's got this, like, he wakes up and this elderly lady's on his mind, you know? It's kind of weird. Um, and so he's like, I mean, he's like, oh, I, mean, I know where, she, I remember where she still lives. So he's like, I, I think I'm supposed to go visit her. So he goes over there, knocks on the door. This is like two years later. And knocks on the door, she answers it, and, and, and he's like, you probably don't remember me. Um, and she's like, John, I prayed for you this morning. She did remember even his name. And he goes on to develop uh, a friendship with this lady who was like this major prayer warrior. All right? 80 plus years old, um, hardly ever was able to get out of the house, very weak with physical strength, but a mighty, mighty, mighty woman of God. And he <clears throat> credits her with, with, with where he's at today, with his ministry because of her faithful prayers. Listen, that woman was busy about the Lord's work. All right? And she knew where her strength came from. Exodus 15, it says, The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. And then Psalm 28 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. It's not talking physical strength. It's talking spiritual strength. And there's, there's a quote in Latin that I like. I have most of my st students learn it. It's, Dum spiro spero. It says, while I breathe, I hope. And listen, if you have breath in you, then, then you have a purpose on this earth given to you by God. And listen, I believe one day in heaven we're going to hear about the great saints of God. And you know what? It's not going to be all the popular celebrity pastor names that we know today and the celebrity bloggers. It's going to be like those little 80-year-old grandmas and grandpas who are faithfully doing the Lord's work. All right? And they're going to be much closer to the throne of the Lord than, than those celebrity pastors that made a name for themselves here on this earth. Because those people are making a name for themselves in heaven. And that's what we're called to do, all right? Who cares about the fame and the glory here? But listen, it, it doesn't matter your physical strength. You can do mighty things for the Lord, regardless of strength or energy. I want you to notice something. <clears throat> Back in Psalm 92, it goes on in verse 13, talking about the righteous. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. And I want you to notice the, the, the tie-in between belonging with flourishing. See, each one of these goes, goes and feeds into the next one. You belong, and that aids and assists in you flourishing. Where are they flourishing? Where are they planted? In the house of the Lord. Where's the growth occurring? In the courts of our God. Think of what Hebrews 10 talks about. Spur one another on towards loving good deeds. And then in Ephesians, and I want you to look there, we see that, that we're supposed to use our gifts 
Ephesians 4. It says, and he gave the apostles, in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God gives gifts to people so that they can equip other people. What? Verse 12, for the work of ministry. What's that work of ministry? Building up the body of Christ. I'm going to visit it later in a future sermon, but I want to make note that we use our gifts to build others up. So, flourish. Um, flourish for who? We flourish at all ages. We flourish at all stages. Because Psalm 92 talks about they still bear fruit, verse 14, in old age. And here's the thing that we want with ministry at liberty. We want it to go all the way from the youngest all the way to the oldest. One of the things that we changed a number of years ago, and it's a beautiful thing, is that our nursery is not just babysitting. There's an aspect and a time in there where we'll actually get those kids and give them um, a short Bible story, a short lesson. Why? Because it's not just babysitting. We just don't want to babysit. We want to take that opportunity to give them a little bit of instruction. We want to start showing them the importance of the Word. We want them to start understanding from a young age who God is. Even our new catechism that we're rolling out, our new curriculum, if you want to call it that, that we're going to be rolling out here in the next month, it emphasizes not just Bible stories, but guess what else? Jesus. All right? You're like, well, duh. <laughs> well, sadly, not duh. All right? Is there curriculum that? There's curricula. That's probably the better word. There's curricula out there that, I mean, all these little Bible stories are like, just like isolated little events. Okay? So you learn about Noah, and then you learn about Jonah, and then you learn about, I don't know, Elijah, right? All these isolated little events, that's not how the Bible was written. It's not how it was meant to be read. Okay? There's one main big theme interwoven from Genesis to Revelation, and it's Jesus. And it's really the story of God redeeming what he wanted to redeem from the very beginning. It's a beautiful story of redemption that doesn't start when Jesus is born. It doesn't even start when Adam messed up, it starts before that. In the beginning, God. And he had a plan. And guess what? We want curriculum that shows that and reflects that to our children. I mean, do I want my kids to know about Noah? Yeah, sure. Um, about Elijah, about Abraham? Yes, they need to know those things. But they need to see Jesus in that story. And they need to, they need to see that Abraham, like, what's God doing there? He's calling the people to be his own. Right? Even from back then, he said God is setting it up. Same with Noah. Like, what's, like, why did God destroy all those people? Like, I mean, there's a biblical message right there. 
And it's not just like, oh, there's the cute little animals going onto the ark. Like God is preserving the faithful. He's punishing sin. That needs to be brought out in that story, in each of those stories. So they need to see the, the interconnectedness of those stories. Actually, we do too. Um, the fancy name for that, there's different types of theology. There's like systematic theology. <clears throat> um, the fancy name for it, and it's really not that fancy, is biblical theology. And the idea is, is like, what do you see through Scripture on a particular topic? Okay, so you could take worship. What does the Scripture say, and how do we see God start to reveal what does worship look like from the very beginning? And then you see uh, Cain mess it up, right? But then God is revealing what does worship look like. And then David comes along and starts to institute different things that God has revealed to him, and so on and so forth, right? But a biblical theology is looking for how do all these things tie together? How do they tie together? Where a systematic theology is like, okay, let's talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, and here's the 15 verses that I'll talk about the Trinity, which is great. Systematic, all the theologies are good, but that's systematic theology. But biblical is like, how does, it, how does it weave throughout the scriptures? And that's what we want our kids to get. That's what I want you all to get. Not just isolated little stories, but to see the big picture. And really the big picture is just, just like one letter, you know, J-E-S-U-S. How is Jesus redeeming? What is the Father doing from before the beginning of time? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? That's Jesus. So we want, we want to see flourishing. Even at the youngest of ages, we want our kids to flourish. Same with our adult education. Look, when we choose books and topics for our Bible studies and our life groups, that's to help you flourish. Um, and so, from, from the cradle to the grave, um, we want to educate and disciple the church. And we want an environment that nourishes and helps people flourish. We're, listen, we could, we could choose different books and topics that might be more, more I don't know, fun, I guess, funner, whatever word you want to use, um, we want to do things that instruct you in areas that we think you need to be instructed in, right? So sometimes you'll get the ice cream sundae. Sometimes you're going to get the salad, okay? You need a healthy diet, right? <clears throat> so when we're going through different books, I mean, we've, we've kind of got a plan in mind for the body. We're not just winging it. Okay, lastly, the righteous truly flourish. I like how the scripture over and over again talks about the righteous and what they do. The righteous do this, the righteous do that. The righteous flourish. God wants us to choose him. In Deuteronomy 30, it says choose life. Choose life. That life is in the Father and in his Son. And here's, here's what happens sometimes. Um, I've had people say to me, all religions are the same. All religions are equal. Now, it's kind of funny when they say that to me, because I'll be like, really? And then I'll say, I've actually studied all the major world religions, <laughs> because that was my degree. 
at college. I was a religious studies major. I actually stayed away from the Christian classes on purpose um, because they were pretty liberal. And so I took everything I could on every major world religion and every minor religion, some of which most people have never heard of. Um, but here's what I will go on to say to that person. I will say, different religions do not believe the same things. They just don't. In fact, they even believe quite contradictory things. There might be some similarities, uh, but there are many more differences. Some religions believe in one God. Some believe in many gods. Some religions actually don't even believe in God. I wouldn't call that very similar. Some religions believe in heaven. Others don't even believe in an afterlife at all. Some religions have a view of consciousness. Some actually don't. They just believe we're part of this great oneness. Some religions believe you only live once on this earth. Others believe you live multiple lives on this earth. Okay, that, that, that's not similar. That's different. Okay? By the way, if, if you believe you, you have different lives on this earth, uh, in the West we call it reincarnation, right? Um, in the East they actually call it transmigration. We've kind of taken that and turned it into a more palatable form here because, because the original belief <clears throat> was you don't just simply die and come back like as a baby or something like that. Um, you die and you could come back as a tree or a dog or a rock or a cow or a slug, okay? Um, but here's the thing. Listen, God either sent his son to this earth or he didn't. And Jesus, the Son of God, either lived the perfect life or he didn't. And Jesus was either crucified on the cross or he wasn't. And he was either placed dead in the tomb or he wasn't. And he was either raised from the dead or he wasn't. Now these are statements that are either false or true. But they can't both be true. And listen, there's no feeling about facts. Facts don't have feelings. All right? Facts don't have feelings. Now, you might have a feeling about the fact, but facts don't have feelings. It happened or it didn't. And if it happened, if God sent his son, if Christ lived the perfect life, if he was crucified on the cross, if he was put in the tomb, if he was raised from the dead, then it makes a difference and impacts everything. And if none of that's true, well, I mean, like, like let's, just, let's just go home, guys. Like, seriously. You know what I'm saying? Like, it either, it either impacts everything and, 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 and totally affects our entire life, or it's not worth even giving the time of day to. And I'd put before you that the facts are the facts. The evidence is reliable. God posits before you to choose life or to choose death. He gives you his word to back it up. And he wants you to choose life. He wants to see you flourish. He says in his word, it is not his will for any to perish. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to know him. He wants you to come to know him. And that comes through faith. Will you trust, will you have faith in this God of the Bible 
who made you, who created you, who breathed life into you, who gives you life, who's blessed you with so many things, and sent his son because of your sin, because you messed up, because you choose the wrong many times instead of choosing the right. And he offers you forgiveness for that. There's a punishment for it, for choosing the wrong. The punishment is death. The punishment is hell. But he offers you forgiveness. He doesn't even have to do that. But he offers it to you through the sacrifice of his son. And the guarantee of that is Jesus rising from the dead. Jesus had victory over the grave. He has the victory. So, you can have that victory from Jesus. You can have that spiritual life that he gives to you, an eternal life is what the Bible calls it, if you trust in the Father and the work of his Son. I encourage you to do that. Okay? He wants to see each one of us, each one of you, all of us, flourish together. And we flourish by being close to the Father, by being in his court, it says in Psalm 92, by being planted there with him. Flourishing comes in the presence of the Father. Do you want to be there with the Lord? What's that song we used to sing, Better One Day in His Courts, right? Than a thousand elsewhere. What would you do for just one day with Him? The beautiful thing is, we can be in his courts. We can be with him. We can have that fellowship right here. It's like a foretaste of heaven. Even, even this, the communion, that's like, it's a foretaste of the feast to come. We're going to be dining with Jesus in a real, physical, tangible way someday. You'll be sitting at a real, physical, tangible table with Jesus, all right? I don't know where you're going to be seated at that really long table, all right? But he's going to figure that out, and you're going to have a seat at the table if you have the true faith in Jesus. And he wants to have that fellowship with you. He wants you to humble yourself and trust in him. Will you do that? Will you trust? Will you truly trust? Put your faith in him for the saving work of his son Jesus. If you do that, he promises to wipe away your sins. As far as the east is from the west, he says, as far as the east is from the west, when does the east meet the west? Now, if you go east, at what point do you start going west? You never. If you go west, what point do you start going east? If you go north, you ever start going south? Yeah. Okay? <clears throat> but you go east, you're going to keep going east and east and east. Right? As far as the east is from the west, they never meet. That's the point. God's removed your sin from you. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, seriously, isn't that awesome? Like, because I don't know about you, but I've done some awful things. I've done some heinous things, some horrible things. And God's forgiven me of that. And you guys are in the same boat. All right? And He offers you the forgiveness too. Through his son, as far as the east is from the west, he'll remove that from you. He can remove all the filth, all the vileness, all the gro grossness. He'll take it. He took it on the cross. 
And you can have new life in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're here working today and you're speaking to people. And so I pray that you would speak to them clearly. And Lord, I pray, God, that today people would trust in you for the first time. It doesn't matter if they've been coming here for just a couple weeks or coming here their whole life. You want us to trust, to truly trust in you in the work of your Son. So save those, Lord. We can't save ourselves. Save those people, Lord. Save us all. We acknowledge, Lord, that each one of us needs you. That we need your Son, the Savior. And we thank you, Lord, that you forgive us, God. You forgive us all of it, past, present, and future. Not as a cheap grace thing, Lord, but because the blood of Christ was sufficient. It was enough. So we thank you, Lord, for your grace that saves us through faith. We thank you for your grace that you pour out upon us. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and not judging us like you ought, but being merciful to us. And I pray for each person here, Lord. I pray for each family at Liberty that they would truly know you, that each member would truly know you. And Lord, you know our hearts. Reveal your truth to each person's heart here, God. Let them hear from you. Let them know you, the one true God and your son Jesus. May your spirit fill people's lives today. May he bring about a regeneration that's only possible through the great triune God. We thank you that you are mighty to save, that nothing can separate us from you, Lord, height nor depth, nothing, Lord. You are truly, truly good to us. We love you. Amen.